welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Let me say, it was great watching you kids dance and worship God. That was, uh, that was very cool. <clears throat> and, uh, and welcome to those who are joining us online. Uh, I got some uh, great celebration news for us. Our, our friend and brother, Peter Watt, he was uh, away last week at a triathlon <clears throat> where he qualified for the world championships later this year. <clears throat> uh, don't come back if anything less than fifth. Just, um, but I know what you're thinking. Uh, it was a 70-kilometer race, a little bit more than that. And the reward for that is he gets to do it again. <laughs> and I know you're thinking, why? why? Why does Peter have such little love for himself that he would subject himself to such pain? I'm, I'm joking, because to be honest, I, I get it. I get it. There's something inside of me that gets stirred up at that idea. Uh, not, not that I want to do a triathlon. Uh, the, the, the swimming, biking, running are really low on my list of things I enjoy doing. Uh, so it's not that I want to go do a triathlon. But, but for a long time, I've, I've wanted to do boot camp in the military. You know, for, what, one month, six weeks, six months, it doesn't really matter how long it is, I'd, I'd love the idea of having to go through a grueling experience like boot camp. Uh, I mean, there was, there was a time where I, I would watch videos on YouTube about what the experience was like. What did the Navy SEALs go through for training? What was the French Foreign Legion like, right? I was watching those things because it was like something was stirred up. Something was drawing me into that kind of thinking, which was always never good for Joy's anxiety levels. That was always kind of spiking at that time. But... But the idea of facing a difficult challenge, and the more grueling the better, the more exciting it was for me. And please understand, it's, it's not because I enjoy pain. Um, <clears throat> that, that wasn't it. <clears throat> in fact, it was the opposite. That I, I was noticing in my life that I was prone to the easy way. That I was prone to, to avoiding the difficult, time, difficult situation, to find the, the way that was most comfortable, the simplest way, the one that would cause me the less pain. But I was noticing that that was a detrimental effect or impact on those around me. And so the idea that maybe if I could, could go through something like boot camp, that would have a spillover effect. You see, that ideally in boot camp, that would be the most difficult time in the soldier's career. That if he could handle boot camp, everything else, any mission afterwards would be easier, would be easier to, to deal with and to address. And so that's the idea of boot camp. And, and you see, a lot of people <clears throat> have found that similar in, in other parts of their lives. That if you go through a, a difficult challenge, <clears throat> you, you face a, a physical challenge. Maybe it's, it's hiking. Maybe it's climbing a mountain or rock climbing or a triathlon or, or any of those physical challenges. It has a spillover effect into the rest of their life because they faced that challenge. They conquered a challenge that they didn't think they would be able to do before. And so there's a, there's a seed planted in their mind going, if I could do this, then maybe I can do this over here. 
And so what it does is it provides a sense of confidence, a, a sense of strength that, that I can face other challenges in my life. You see, confidence is such an important and such a critical character trait. Because if you lack it, then you will abandon any, t- any challenge that comes your way that you're not sure about. If there's any kind of question, any kind of doubt that I don't know if I'll be able to complete this challenge, I give up. I'm out. And because and why bother trying and failing <clears throat> and just experiencing pain? Far better just to ignore it. And so having that confidence allows you to face it. <clears throat> So let's, let's be clear, though. Let's not confuse confidence with arrogance. That's something else altogether. But here's the definition that I, I want to use for us this morning as we, we talk about what confidence is. So confidence is the belief that you have the necessary resources and the abilities to overcome the challenge in front of you. So you have that, that belief that there's something inside of you or you have the access to what you need in order to address and overcome the challenge. Whatever that challenge is, whatever it looks like, you're going to be able to pull it off. And so, for example, some challenges could be like a triathlon or, or a hiking or a wilderness camping adventure. But it could be simply a project that worked. It could be a busy week of just running around, getting ready, you know, doing errands or getting away because you're going to, going to go away sometime soon. Or maybe it's a big home improvement project or you got to, you know, fix your car or change the oil in your car. Maybe it's a tough conversation with a friend or a coworker. Maybe it's even just a temptation that's, that's you're being drawn towards a sinful behavior. And so you're, you're looking for a resources, power to overcome that. Those are some examples, I think, of some short-term uh, challenges, short-term trials that we face. And my short-term is that there's, there's a start date and an end date, and they're fairly close together. Those, I think, are the easier challenges that we face. The, the more difficult ones are the ones that are long-term. They may not have the same intensity, the same spike of the challenge, but the challenge there is that it's over time. And so it just wears away at you over time. It's sort of like the, the Chinese torture test, right? It's sort of just a drop of water. Just a little drop of water. It's not a big deal. But over time, it just starts to wear at you. And so here's some examples of some longer-term challenges. And maybe it's dealing with a rebellious child. Maybe it's, maybe it's a struggling marriage where the passion of the youth has been forgotten, only to be replaced with a disappointment that's come over time. Maybe it's a, a job that feels overwhelming or even a job that's underwhelming. Maybe it's the voices of shame and despair and anxiety that seem to be your constant companions and even louder than the voice of God in your head. Maybe it's an illness, your own, a loved one, a family member. And maybe it's physical illness. Maybe it's, a, it's an emotional illness, like depression or despair. Maybe it's just the disappointment where you're feeling stuck about where you are in life, resulting from the seemingly unanswered prayers that, that you've offered to God. The reality is every one of us will face these kinds of challenges at some point in our life. Maybe right now you're experiencing these challenges. It's guaranteed because we don't live in Eden anymore. We don't live in paradise. And and to reject the reality that you and I will face these challenges is setting yourself up for failure. Because then when the challenge comes, when the trial comes, you will just feel like it's not right, it's not fair, it shouldn't be this way, and you want to abandon ship. You want to just give up and, and run away from it. And so it's important that when the challenge comes, we respond with courage. We respond with strength because that's what it needs in this moment. 
But sometimes there could be misplaced confidence. I said earlier about arrogance. And I don't know if you remember, the, I think it was the Holiday Inn commercials, where the whole theme of the commercial was a guy shows up in the operating room, and he's ready to do you know, brain surgery or something. He's feeling great. And they say, are you a doctor? No, but I stayed in the Holiday Inn. Right? He just, the idea that he just felt so great he could challenge the world. Well, that's a, that's a misplaced confidence. You may feel great. I still don't want you anywhere close to a scalpel. Right? Because you don't have the understanding there. So it's a misplaced idea. It's a, it's a sense where you overcommit, but you underdeliver. For example, maybe you promise to build a house for someone, and you sign the contract, you go home, and you Google how to build a house for first time. Right? You have no clue. You have no idea what you're doing. That's an overconfidence. That's, that's not what we're looking for. That kind of arrogant self-confidence has an inflated view of yourself and what you can do. That's not what we're talking about. But I think even worse than that is where there's someone, the person who has no confidence whatsoever. See, with a, with a misplaced confidence, you can at least sort of rein it in and, and sort of you know, try to you know, say, OK, don't promise to build a whole house, but maybe let's start off smaller. Right? And then you can, but they're at least willing to try. They're willing to put themselves out there. And maybe they can learn. And they can you know, make some mistakes, but learn for the next time. And, and they can improve and develop some skills there. Whereas the person who's got no confidence, they just are stuck. They, they don't move forward. They don't do anything. They don't even try. And so I'd, if given the choice, I'd rather have the person with misplaced confidence and we could tailor it back versus the person who's got no confidence at all. Because for that person to get them motivated is sort of like pushing a donkey. It's just not very easy. And so the challenges we're going to face are crucial. Again, it's challenges like remaining faithful to God in this world where, where we're being pulled away where the world is offering you another solution, trying to draw your attention away from him. Or maybe it's parenting your children growing up in this world. I'm, I'm so thankful for people like Devin and, and Janice and Marco and others who are teachers in, in the school system here. Because they get to be an influence, a positive influence to those kids. As they get to share with them what, what it means to be made in the image of God and to be loved by Jesus. Because it's a world that is indoctrinating our kids. They're, they're actively trying to set our kids up for failure. And then maybe the greatest challenge you and I face is the challenge of laying down our life for others. To, to do things that aren't making me comfortable, but doing what's in another person's best interest, which often will include my own discomfort. These are the challenges that we face. And so please understand, living in this world is not for the faint of heart. But we can face any challenge if we have the right kind of confidence. And so that's what this passage is all about. So let's, let's read our passage together. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul writes here to the Corinthians, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for what we have in you, the, the life that is present to us in you that can provide us the confidence that we need so that we don't have to run away, we don't have to hide from the challenges, we don't have to, to, um, to back away 
from what trials in front of us. Instead, we get to step up and engage. We get to be counted. And your life will be sufficient. Your life will be enough. So I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that, that this message would be one of hope, would be one of encouragement, especially to those who are in the midst of a trial, who are in the midst of that difficulty right now. In your name we pray, amen. So there's, there's only two major points in my sermon. So it's a discounted sermon because you're supposed to have three. That's what I'm told. But, but uh, two points. Number one is why can we have this confidence? And then number two, how do we develop this kind of confidence within us? So number one, why can we have this confidence? Let's start with uh, where our confidence is not found. And it's not found in ourselves. That's really important. Please understand, it's not found in your own natural abilities and your own natural skill set and your, your talents and how God's gifted you. That's not where it's going to be found. Again, in our passage in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate. Not that we're confident in our own selves to consider as anything coming from ourselves. You see, it's, it's good that we don't place confidence in ourselves. One of, the, one of the greatest lessons that you and I could ever learn, I think, is in John 15, 5, where, where Jesus here, it's the night of his arrest. He's about to go to the cross. He's been with his disciples for, for three and a half years. It's time to get down to what's important. It's time to share what matters. And so he's sharing with them the, the really, really important things of life. And he's using this illustration of a vine and the branches and how they abide, the branches abide in the vine. And then he makes this statement in verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do very little. You can do nothing. And yet, if we're honest, I think we approach it in a different way. We tend to approach it as, uh, I can do some things. It's just when I'm over my head, when I've kind of reached my point where I've exhausted all my options, now I pray. And when I hear that, I think, oh boy, it's, it's come to this, has it? It's finally come to prayer. And that, that's where we ought to start. We ought to start with this idea, this, this thought, I can't do it on my own. That's what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 3 when he talks about putting no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in your own abilities, in your own powers, in your own strength. And I really think this might be the, the first of many great lessons that you and I need to learn. That I may want to, I may desire to, but I can't. I can't pull it off. I can't be the husband and the father that I want to be. I can't be the friend and the, and the leader that I want to be. I have the desire, but I lack the opportunity or the power. And I think when, we've, when we come to that realization, you actually have solved the problem. Because as long as you think there's something you have to offer, then you're going to try it. You're going to try to pull it off, and you're going to try and do it in your own strength. And then you, you've done it, and you kind of presented it to God and say, God, what do you think? And you know what he thinks? I prayed, about, God, give me an illustration. This is the illustration he gave to me. He says, it's like giving him a, a two-liter bottle of Pepsi. <laughs> Worthless, right? <laughs> Worthless. See, that was Simon Peter's problem. Remember Simon Peter before Jesus was arrested? He had all this misplaced confidence in himself. I mean, he's talking to Jesus. You know Jesus. 
these, these other disciples, they're, they're okay, but in, in a pinch, they're going to bend. They're going to walk away. They're going to run away from you, but not me. I'm the, I'm the only one. I'm the real deal, Jesus. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. And he had all this confidence in himself. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, before the rooster crows, before tomorrow morning, you're going to reject me on three separate occasions. And he did. And please understand, it wasn't like he was being tortured. It wasn't like swords were at his throat and he was being attacked. It was simply, you know, an older lady saying, hey, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? Nope. Nope. Don't know what you're talking about. And he fled. He ran away because he discovered there that while he wanted to be that kind of person to Jesus, he wanted to be a trustworthy man. He had to learn and discover that he wasn't, not in his own strength. But he discovered later on that there was something that is far greater than his own ability. And that's where we do find our confidence. Our confidence is not found in ourselves. It's going to be found in God. Again, in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're adequate in ourselves. Not that we place any confidence in ourselves. Could consider anything coming from ourselves. There is nothing I have to offer you or anyone in this world. But our adequacy, our confidence... Our power and our strength is going to be from, from God. And so that's, that's what's so beautiful. Our confidence, our adequacy, our strength and power is to come from God alone. And we're going to access all of that through our moment-by-moment -moment faith in him, through a moment-by-moment -moment trusting in him. That's what it's about. Think about an Old Testament passage like in Zechariah 4 or 6 where this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It isn't about the strength of the army. That was, that was the lesson that God was trying to teach Gideon. And I think what a great picture that is, right? You have Gideon who's, who's terrified. He is a coward, Gideon is. I mean, at the time when he meets the angel of the Lord, he's sitting in a pit in a dugout hole with, with the, the sieve and the wheat, and he's tossing it up as he should. The problem is in a pit, it's a horrible place to do it. Normally, you'd want to do it on a hilltop where there's a nice breeze so that when you throw the, the wheat up, the, the breeze that's coming along catches the chaff and blows it away, and only the wheat comes back down. The problem is, on a hilltop, you're exposed. You're vulnerable. It's like advertising. I've got wheat. Come get me. And so that's what was going on. And so that's when the soldiers would come, and they would raid you. And so he's trying to not draw attention to himself. And so he's in a pit, doing it the least effective way. He just doesn't want to battle. He doesn't want to fight, because he feels so weak in himself. So an angel Lord comes and calls him strong and courageous. Because it's, the strength is not going to be found in Gideon, but in Gideon's faith in God. And so Gideon puts together an army, 30,000 men against an uncounted, innumerable army. That's the other army is so big they couldn't even count it. But they could count the 30,000 men of Israel. And God's looking at it going, this isn't fair. We got too many guys. Let's cut down the numbers. And so they cut down the numbers on two occasions down to 300 people. And all they had was a trumpet and a torch. Go get them, guys. 
But it wasn't in the might of the army. It wasn't by their power. It wasn't that Gideon was some super powerful tactical military commander. It wasn't they were all you know, strong and powerful. They had God, his spirit. And that's the battle. That's how we win. So if the first half of the battle is understanding that I can't do it, the second half is understanding, but Christ in me can. It's discovering that I'm incapable of living the Christian life, incapable of being the man or woman that I desire, incapable of loving those who I cherish the most, never mind those who oppose me, but that Christ in me can. Christ in me can pull it off. That's why in Colossians 1.29, Paul says this, for, I purpose, for this purpose also I labor. He says, I still work. It's not passive. It's not, it's not sitting on the sidelines. I labor, but striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This is such a critical truth that we all have to, to wrap our minds around, but it's such an abstract truth that the God of the universe now lives in me, and he's going to live through me, but it's going to look like me doing it. So I'm, I was thinking, God, give me, give me a way to explain this. Give me an illustration. And he reminded me of a sailboat. You think about a sailboat. It's, it's out there in the water, and it's got the sail up, but it's not going anywhere until the breeze comes. And the breeze is now what, what drives, that sail, or drives that sailboat forward. It's the source of the power. It's the strength. It has nothing to do with the sailboat at all. And that's the sense here, that there is this breeze, there's this wind, there's this tornado of strength inside you and I that's ready to drive us, ready to propel us through any challenge. That whatever you face, whatever you're up against, God will give you the grace and the ability to get through it. That no matter what I have, I'm up against, I've got Jesus. And that's why one man developed this phrase, for this I've got Jesus. As Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me and through me. It's Jesus is going to do all this. And the life that I live in this body right now, I'm just going to live by faith. I'm going to walk with Jesus moment by moment. And I'm going to talk with him. And I'm going to ask him what he wants to do in this moment, how he wants to provide the strength that I need in this moment. And then I'm going to trust him to pull it off. This is Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, right? God's in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so it's, it's so critical that we begin to, to wrap our minds around this simple fact that Jesus is alive in me. Put it this way. Remember Samson and all that strength he had? where he could defeat armies and, and you know, fight wild bears and lions, not tame bears because they're easy, but wild bears. I don't know why I had to stipulate that one. Uh, he brought down you know, the building, right, the pillars, all of that strength. Where did that strength come from? The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's taken up permanent residence inside of you, Michael. Unbelievable. All that strength is available to you no matter the trial we're going through. So whether it be facing temptation, like temptation to look at pornography or drinking or control uh, through anger, or even just to run away and, and avoid the problem, for this I have Jesus. Maybe it's to, to love my spouse, especially when my spouse is struggling and they need my encouragement. For this I have Jesus. 
Maybe it's parenting my children, just spending time with them and talking to them about the bigger things in life, developing the the true character that will allow them to, to flourish in this world. For this, I have Jesus. Maybe it's at work, doing the the parts of the job that are maybe less interesting or or overwhelming, or just dealing with the odd set of coworkers that you have. For this, I have Jesus. Hanging out with friends. Driving in traffic where people aren't following the rules of the road very well. Doing the chores around the house. For this, I have Jesus. We have that strength. What we we need to learn now is accessing that strength. And that's this confidence. The word here in 2 Corinthians 3 for confidence could also be translated as trust or reliance. It's a dependence. And so what we're doing is we have it. The question is, will I trust it? Will I depend upon it? Because every single moment, I'm faced with two choices. It's like the Garden of Eden back all over again. So if you've ever sat there and go, Adam, oh, Adam, you know, if it were me, I would have made a better choice. The fact of the matter is, you and I face that same choice throughout the day, many times in the day. We're faced with a challenge. Do I try and do it on my own? The knowledge of good and evil, where I think what's best and I do what's best to my own strength and thereby choose the flesh? Or do I choose the tree of life? Do I trust the Spirit and choose Jesus in me? That's the challenge that you and I face. And what we're developing now is a confidence, a trust in Jesus. So that moment by moment, we're learning to put that that strength in him. So the question is, well, how do I I develop that kind of trust? Because I I want that kind of trust. That's sign me up for that kind of trust. And there's, there's one answer for it. It's through hardship. It's through the challenges, the trials that you and I face. Those are the things that God's using to develop those, that trust in us. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. Verses that are worth memorizing, by the way. Paul writes this. He says, not only this, talking about all kinds of great things we celebrate in, the fact that we're, we're justified, made right with God, we have peace with God, we have hope in Jesus, we're, we're one with him, all wonderful things. And not only do we celebrate this, but we also celebrate exalt in our tribulations and the trials and the stress and the challenges we face, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, resilience, strength of character, and that perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. See, I think this is where we've, we've most often misunderstood the heart of God most misunderstood what God is up to and what he's doing in our life. For me growing up, I, I kind of was taught subtly the message that is, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Because he loves you so much that, that he, will, he will make your path straight. And so it'll be, it'll be straight. And in fact, maybe a little bit of a decline. Right? It'll be, it'll be easy for you. And it'll be paved. Not like sand. It'll be nice. It'll be real simple. And that's what I was taught. So that when there was a challenge, when there was a trial, when it was a little bit uphill or, or a bit rocky, I began to question, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I'm not trusting Jesus. What's, what am I doing wrong? But it's through hardship and trial 
that God is building character. He's increasing maturity. He's developing a trust in him that we will learn to find life in Jesus rather than choosing the pseudo-life that the world offers, the pseudo-life that the flesh is offering to us, which isn't any life at all. It's actually death. You actually feel worse afterwards. You've, you've all experienced that, right? Where you're, you're feeling miserable. You're not feeling very good. And so you think, you know what? I, I'll just have you know, some ice cream. Three scoops in the second bowl. That will feel better. And then how do you feel afterwards? You feel all bloated. You feel tired. You feel not so good. In the moment, it felt great. Like, don't get me wrong. That's why you went back for the third bowl of ice cream afterwards. Like, it felt good in the moment. It just, afterwards, there's no life to it. And you see, God's offering us a better answer, a better solution that will satisfy our soul, that will be life to us. And that's what he's offering. And so we need to develop the attitude, sort of what we saw in that video that opened up this morning about how we praise God when everything's going well, but we also need to learn to praise God when things are not going well. That was sort of Job's lesson, right? That song that we often have heard sung in our churches where he gives and he takes away, but blessed be his name. You know, Job sang that or called that out in a poem. Maybe it was a song, but he cried that out after he lost everything but a nagging wife. Lost his, his children, he lost his business, he lost everything. And he says, God gives and he takes away, but blessed be his name. How could, he, how could Job make that kind of declaration? How could we make that declaration? Well, I think it's because in that case, Job, he had a confidence in a loving father. A confidence that this, this father, this God is developing confidence, developing character, developing perseverance and strength and power that is required in us to face this world. Because you're going to face challenges in this world. And so we need to remember the, the exhortation, the, the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews gave as a, as a father to children, but gave to his readers in the book of Hebrews, where he says in Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. It's, it's sorrowful. It's, it's soul-sucking. I mean, when you're, when you're in the trial, especially the ones that just seem to go on and on and on and on, where, where you just can't sleep, and it's the fourth night of not sleeping, where you're, you're dealing with a rebellious child and they're just not, not listening. And, and you know that if they listened, that life would get better. Life would become easier. That what they're doing is only sabotaging themselves. Or you have a, a marriage where you just you don't even know who you're married to anymore. And you don't know if you love them anymore. Or you have a health concern that, that the doctor's like, ah, I just don't know what to do now. All Trials, all trials, all difficulties. It's not, it's not easy. It's miserable, in fact. But yet, to those who have been trained by it, those who have developed a strength as a result of it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we have to learn by experience. You know, Mike here didn't get strong just overnight. He went to the gym 
And he pumped the iron. And he did all the work that was required. And every time he was doing that, he was actually ripping the fibers in his muscles. He was stressing his muscles beyond what they could handle so that they'd be stronger the next time. And he'd do it again and again and again. And he developed that strength. But if you're me and you don't do that, the muscles atrophy and they shrink and they shrink and they shrink. So for God to now develop the strength of faith, the strength of character, the strength of resilience so that you don't back away from those challenges means that you will be faced time and time again with situations that are bigger than you, that are beyond your ability. We saw that earlier in Paul's life, just months before he wrote this, maybe, when he was in Asia, where he was burdened beyond what he could handle, burdened beyond what he could do in a situation God called him into. So that, he says, I may learn to trust in the God who raises the dead, not in myself. And we see this time and time again from every great man or woman in Scripture. Think about Moses. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. He was taught everything you would need to know to lead a nation. He had the best tutors, the, the best experience, the best minds. Everyone there, right there to say, this is how you lead. This is how you govern. This is how you manage. Because him or his brother was going to, to lead Egypt, or at least his stepbrother. And so around age 40 years old, with all that experience, Moses says, now's my time. I see my people struggling. I see them suffering. No more. It's time to lead them to freedom. So he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And this is my moment. This is my calling. And he came and he murdered the Egyptian to rescue the Hebrew. And so it begins. Viva la revolution. Right? Like he was ready to go. 24 hours later, he sees two Hebrews fighting. What's going on, guys? What's happening? Let's, let's get along. We're on the same team. Remember? Viva la revolution. Let's go. Let's go. What are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you killed this, the, the Egyptian uh, taskmaster? And Moses freaked out. All that training, all of that self-confidence, gone. Shortest career in ministry, 24 hours. He's out. Burnt out. And he go live on the backside of the desert, where basically he unlearns everything, looking after sheep and goats. So that when God comes to him now, at 80 years old, Moses has no confidence in himself. He's halfway home. And God says, Moses, I'm going to lead my people. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to set them free. And Moses says, I can't do that, Lord. And God's saying then, essentially, Moses, I don't want you to be the one to do it, but I'm going to do it through you. All I need from you is a moment of trust. But it took 40 years in the backside of the desert to prepare Moses to lead Israel. Or you got the story of Joseph. You know, it took Joseph all those years of, of being sold into slavery and then imprisoned for him to learn and discover that he can't do it on his own. Or you got the story of David, where, where David was on the run for something like 12 to 16 years, being chased by King Saul, never knowing if this is going to be the last day that he lives. But each day of that prepared him to be the king. As, as one author put it, that, that Saul was essentially knocking the Saul out of David in that time, so that when David had his own rebellion, he would learn not to throw spears like Saul did, but would respond in love. 
And that's what we saw when his son Absalom tried to lead the coup. But he developed that through those trials. Without those, that period of suffering, without that difficulty in David's life, he's not the man that we know him to be. Even Jesus had to learn obedience through things, things that he suffered. So it says in Hebrews 5.8. So if Jesus, who's perfect, learns through trials, learns through suffering, then what's going to happen with us? It's going to be the same thing. So, so the question that I had in my mind was, but why? Why does it have to be this way? Is God just, you know, a really strict father, that disciplinarian father, and that's his style? But, you know, there's other styles, and he could have done it another way, maybe more of an apprentice sort of thing, and maybe we didn't have to go through those trials. And I thought about that, and I thought, that's not how this world works. Maybe if this was still Eden, maybe if we were still in paradise, but we're not. He's preparing us as any loving father would do, as any father that's, that's good would do, he's preparing us for this world by preparing us to face adversity. Hebrews 12, 11, it says, it is for discipline that you endure. Another way to, to translate this passage, that verse there, it is you endure because of the discipline. You endure because of how father has taught you. You endure because of the resilience that he's built into you, into your soul, that resilience of faithfulness, that resilience of trust, that proven character, that hope, because of what you've gone through before. Where it's like, I trusted Jesus here, and I saw God work here, so I guess I can trust him for this situation too. Or maybe I saw God work in other people's lives, and so I can trust God in my life here, too. And we're developing, we're learning that trust. Because not living in paradise, we're not going to be shielded from this sin-cursed world. God doesn't promise us an easy life, but he promised us that everything you need, everything you require, the, no matter the situation, good, bad, ugly, everything is happening that he will provide you the resources so that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. That when you get through the other side of the trial, it will be good. And you will be comforted. And you will you'll experience the life of Jesus in greater ways. And the world will see Christ through you clearer and clearer. So, so the question is, how do we apply this then? If we learn through trials, if we learn through difficulties, that's the, always been the case. It's the case through the Old Testament. It's the case in the New Testament. It's true for Jesus. It's going to be true for us. What is to be our response? Especially if, if you're in a trial right now. What do we do? How do we approach it? And, and I, think, I think the first thing is you accept it. You accept the trial as from your father. Please understand, if, if it's in your life, it's because God knows how he can use it for your good. So this trial doesn't look good. It's not easy. And, and you would happily trade it for almost anything else. Understood. But trust that your father knows what he's doing. Trust that your father wants to do something through it. 
Trust that your Father is going to use it for your good. And so we embrace the trial. We, we accept the trial, and it's okay, rather than fighting against it. And then we engage our faith muscles. We engage that trust in, in him, and we ask him, Father, what is your asking of me in this moment? Maybe, maybe there's something he's asking you to surrender. Maybe you're trying to control an outcome. You're trying to control a person. You're trying to protect yourself so you don't get hurt, you don't get vulnerable. And maybe God's saying, will you trust me? Will you surrender that, that right? Will you surrender that control? Will you surrender that dream even into my hands and let me work? Trust me that it'll be good, but will you trust me with it? Maybe he's asking you to engage in that relationship that you've been pulling away from, where you've been building up walls and barriers and protecting yourself so that you don't get hurt and you're just sort of stepping back. Or maybe he's asking you to risk rejection, risk vulnerability in a relationship. Maybe it means sharing your faith in evangelism with a, a coworker or a friend. Maybe it's, it's sitting with someone who's struggling as well and just sharing your life and your story and what God's done in you as a way to give them hope. Or maybe it's even the greater gift of just sitting and listening to them, honoring them with time and your presence, without trying to offer a fix, without trying to offer a quick solution so that you feel better about yourself, but you just are willing to love them where they're at. I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know what Jesus is asking of you in that situation, because every situation is unique. Every situation is different. And God may ask you to do one thing here and another thing in this time. But what is, remains constant or remains true is, will you talk to him about it? Will you trust him in it? Will you place your confidence in him and his Holy Spirit in, in and through you rather than trying to pull it off on your own strength? And when we do that, when we trust him, we're engaging those muscles of, of, of faith, we unleash the power of the Holy Spirit into this world. And there is nothing greater than to see Jesus working through his church. Let's pray. Father God, we... We thank you that no matter what we face, you're greater than the challenge we face. And you've promised not to abandon us, never to forsake us, that you'll be with us always, even to the end of the age, and that you are able to face the challenge. And I pray, Father, that you would instill in us now a willingness to place that confidence in you a confidence that is well-positioned and well-earned on your part. But you're continuing to earn that trust from us each and every day. May we be those people that trust you, even when it's darkest, even when it's, we're, we're, we're seemingly lost. May we trust you and see your strength and see your power, knowing that it's going to make an impact and change lives. So I thank you that it's not up to us up to you. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. 
New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.